Well, hello everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Bruisers. Uh, we, I am the host, Alan Moskowski. This is our first time doing Facebook Live, so be patient. Um, I am joined with a very special guest this week, Chris, Chris Pearson of Devil's Trumpet, who does doing? all the sales and distribution. Appreciate inviting us. Yeah, my pleasure. What's your? I, I, is there any kind of uh, anxiety to this? Because I know I just kind of threw you into this. I am sorry. No, no. I mean, my I guess uh, first time being on Facebook Live, so we'll see what happens. Cool, cool. <laughs> well, I, we've got a full staff here, so if you do have any questions, feel free to send them uh, to Chris's way. I've got our intern AC Slater behind the ones and twos, letting us know uh, if there is any kind of questions kind of coming through. So um, feel free to fire fire them off. Hopefully, we'll have some type of uh, time at the end to kind of go through it um, but other than that um, being that it's Bruisers we tried to bring in here and like the whole motive behind starting this podcast was to kind of act as a documentarian for like the local area because the the explosion of breweries is unique for this space yeah there it's uh we are pretty fortunate if you you know in the northwest Indiana area with how many breweries there are uh, I mean, you talk to a lot of people from other areas, like even other states, and it's pretty unique that every, pretty much every 10 minutes, no matter what direction you drive, you can hit another brewery. So I, I want to say, I know there's over 20. I don't mm-hmm. fully know the exact count, but I mean, it's it's pretty pretty unique for this area, how many breweries there are. So When we did our... Uh Contest in January, the top the top five breweries in Northwest Indiana, not named Three Floyds. We found out that there were, um, I think, twenty three yeah. at that time. But I've heard of a new one in Rensselaer that just opened up today. Yeah, F- uh, Fenwick, Fenwick Farms. Farms, and so that's growing. I think the only one that's closed since that time period is Route Two. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, because was it Twisted Kate in Laporte? Ooh, I've never even heard of that one. Yeah, they closed. They closed. Um, a year or two ago too also I so, crazy i mean it's still a, it's still a huge success rate though i mean if you think Insane. about it, small businesses yep like look at restaurants or any small business um that five-year mark they always talk about if you can make it to five years then you're going to be good uh but i mean still like if, if there's 20 if there was 23 breweries and only two have closed it's a pretty good success rate still heck yeah and the amount of employment that the breweries are offering is incredible and just the art and the craft is fantastic because there's so many events to do now at this point yeah it's really kind of helped bring the culture of this area alive it it, you know what it has i mean there's so many beer festivals (laughs) it's uh kind of crazy i mean you literally we could do a beer festival every weekend if we wanted to um, we don't. We do a lot of them. Uh, we choose like certain markets and, and where it's going to benefit our brand the best. Um, and they're usually, they're really fun times. Uh, I mean, where where else can you go and spend however much money and be able to taste forty beers from forty different breweries if you choose? Right. I mean, you, if if you went to every brewery, it would take you forever to try and do that so oh yeah oh yeah and i know my first real kind of um exposure to it and i've been on the pouring side and the 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 tasting side (laughs) but um was the crown beer fest it was like 2013 or 14 
sometime in that and it was just amazing to see that like a you don't realize how drunk you get at those things until you're tasting it that's pretty it gets out of control quick but um just being able to kind of test out all these breweries and it was at that time of that burst and you brought in before i don't want to i don't want to jump over this fact while we're doing this you brought in a new beer um, that's starting to can tomorrow, and I want to make sure we mention that before we get into the yeah. the nitty gritty of what's going on. It's a New England style, which is a, it's part of the craze right now yep, for beer. It is. And it so, is. What, what, where the hashtag trying to be cool? We talked about it on the on the green room. Yeah. If you want to kind of fill the people in on what that story is, so uh, we've always bottled our beer. Um, we kind of used to say the beer is meant for a glass, and for us, uh, so we always wanted the bottle. I think Floyd's was like the main one in the area. They were the only ones bottling. All the other new breweries coming out were canning. Um, and we looked at it as you could always go to cans if you bottled, but you can't go backwards. So if we started out canning, we wouldn't be able to do bottles. So gotcha. uh, we got our canning machine installed. Uh, our Pilsner was our first canned beer. We released it around Memorial Day and the second beer coming out of cans was going to be our hashtag trying to be cool, our uh, take on a New England hazy IPA. So it's a perfect, perfect title for the, per, for the craze right now. We like to have fun with our names. Uh, we, did, <laughs> we took a lot of flack for the Pilsner because we just call it Devil's Trumpet Pilsner. So a lot of people are like, really? That's all you guys could come up with? But uh, I mean, sometimes you just got to call a beer what it is sure so. and it the the simplicity of the can and the nod to like the legacy beer is an awesome part of the marketing of that can in particular yeah. so uh, it was intentional i mean being our first canned beer it gave us the opportunity we always went for brand recognition with all of our packaging that way if you like our beer you'll always be able to find it um but with the can it gave us the the unique opportunity to do something different and stray away from that so we wanted to do something nostalgic, kind of tug on those heartstrings, go old school and classic. Uh, but I mean, it still stands out like a devil's trumpet beer. It's got our family crest on it, uh, which is on all our packaging. So well, it's delicious, and that crest is really uh, interesting too because it's it's got the hop kind of outline. And yeah. where does so before we jump into that, what's the the story behind Devil's Trumpet? How did it get started? Who started it? And what was the inspiration? So we, I mean, I guess essentially uh, there's four of us. So we started, I think I met Bob in 2010. Wow. Uh, he's our, one of the other partners, head brewer. Um, uh, Kennywood Brewing Supply, which we were talking about earlier, had just opened and Crown Brewing had just opened up with Carriage Court Pizza in town. So uh, they started a homebrew club above Crown Brewing in conjunction with Bob and Deb's Kennywood Brewing Supply, their homebrew shop. Um, so I started going to a few meetings and reading books and did a lot of research, asked a ton of questions, and brewed my first batch of beer in December of 2009. And Bob came to the homebrew club, and I think we want, I want to say we met in uh, early 2010, just hit it off, um, liked the same music, shared the same passion. Uh, the same philosophy in the brewing style. So we started hanging out and through a mutual friend uh, from the homebrew club, he introduced us to uh, Steve and Mark, two brothers. And we started sitting down, going going over beers. Bob and I were developing recipes. We were talking about the beers and hashing out a business plan. So that's pretty much where it started. No kidding. So you were part of the recipe building. And what did you, how many homebrews are we talking about before we're in the kit side of things? And then how many homebrews you think in going into the all grain side uh i did two kits 
And after my second kit, I switched to kind of developing my own recipes with the help of um, Bob, who owned Kennywood at the time. Yep. Um, started with the, the extract with the, the partial mash, I guess you would, they call it, where you're just steeping the grains. Uh, probably did maybe about 12 batches that way and decided I wanted to do all grain because by jumping to all grain, A, it's more equipment, so it's more money, mm -hmm. but you have total control. Because with the extract, you don't know what they use. Did they use two-row? Did they use six-row? Well, whose two-row did they use? Did they use Breeze? Did they use Canada Malting? Did they use Great Western? Simpsons? You have no idea. Yep. Um, and plus, back in, it used to be that, like, malt extract or, or DME, dry malt extract, you had no idea how long it was sitting on a shelf. But with the explosion of homebrewing in the late 2000s, and, or, uh, yeah, late 2000s, uh, like 2005 to 2010 or whatever, 11, uh, you didn't have to worry about that because everything was fresh. There were so many people brewing. so Sure. Yeah, but, that, uh, but that's interesting because that's kind of the natural transition, right, is that you start with the kits just to kind of get a feel for it. And you mentioned steeping the grains, which is probably one of the most beautiful smells yes. in the world. Well, it depends. Okay. It depends. <laughs> Some people I haven't don't seen like the, the bad smell. side. <laughs> so that's crazy. I know when we were brewing it, we were using my kitchen, and my wife like would know from like down the street when yeah. we were brewing that day, you know, because of how intense that smell is, especially in the mash. I think it's one of the most wonderful smells in the world, man. Me too. It's I like, mean, coming to the brewery in the morning and the brew day, brew day started. It's just that aroma is just unbelievable. Crazy. So and so you're talking about ten kits, and at that point, um, you're probably um, switching out different hops. You're testing yep. that out, Changing right? yeast, Change, uh, okay. different grains. Um, I used to help out after a while because I spent so much time at Kennywood. Uh, I started helping out, uh, working in the shop. So i just sit there and would just eat all the different grains and take tasting notes to see what the difference is between Crystal 15 and Crystal 40 or the, the brand, the malting brands. Oh, yeah. Uh, changing that, uh, all the different two rows, what, which one's better, which player profile do you prefer? Um, so I it just, it's, it was a lot. I mean, just really passionate, I guess, from the get go, I guess I would say. Sure, so. sure. So now we're all graining where you got more control over the brews. How many brewing, how many brews have you done at that point before Devil's Trumpet starts to become? the potential of a business model to make that happen? Uh, I have no idea. So an endless amount at uh, that I point. I mean, we, we still have all our notebooks. I have my individual notebooks. Uh, and then when Bob and I started writing recipes and brewing together, we have separate notebooks for that. Uh, I mean, he's got his own notebooks from when he was brewing on his own. So, but yeah, I, I'd, I'd have to look it up to be honest with you. Crazy. No idea. Well, and, and for people who don't know, I mean, man, the, uh, the charting and the writing down everything out, um, because you do forget what you did differently yeah. in every batch. Right. And that's such an integral part and the science behind it. And when we were off air, it was kind of interesting because what was your past life? <laughs> if you want to say it that way, what were you doing as a crew before that? So I was a uh, local 265 union sheet metal worker. Uh, I grew up in Illinois, so I was out of Illinois. Um, I still carry my card. Um, I haven't done it. I, I quit uh, doing sheet metal. My last day was nine months in. So I want to say it was uh, March 13th was my last official day of two, March 13th, 2015. Wow of doing tin knocking, but I still talk to all the guys. I miss it. So I keep in touch with all the 
guys I used to work with. That's so. cool. Yeah, but like the science behind beer is a real thing. Well, I think uh, for me, so I was really big into fish tanks. Uh, I had freshwater tanks with live plants. I had saltwater tanks. So with with brewing, it's a lot of water chemistry. Um, so because of the fact that I had like a, I had an RO system and I was building the water up to what I wanted it to be for each specific environment for the fish tank that I had. That kind of I think that kind of helped me when I started brewing because I understood that part of it. Uh, it was just learning all the grains, what yeast does, what the different yeast strains do, what the different fermentation temperatures. I mean, going from 68 degrees to 70 degrees could make a huge difference in the, the flavor profile that you get from the yeast. Sure. So it was just a, a lot of a lot of brewing. A I lot. gave away a lot of beer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Everybody enjoyed coming to my house because it was free beer all the time. Did you ever, ever uh, pour, pour a batch out? Uh, home brewing, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's a, yeah. that's a sad day. Yeah, uh, it wasn't too often. I think it was just a couple. I mean, it just didn't come out the way you wanted it to. I mean, when you're writing a recipe, you can visualize it and start to taste it. Um, but sometimes things happen. I mean, I remember going out of town and I had a, uh, a stand-up freezer that I convert, put a temperature controller on. And that way I could control the fermentation temperature. Perfect. And the controller stuck. And I came back and everything was frozen so and it was glass carboys too so i was i was glad they didn't crack or break or anything nice kind of like oh great well down the drain you go is there anything worse than clearing out one of those carboys those glass carboys because you got the like the the brush tries to do it but it's like it's a process it is yeah (laughs) i don't miss those i mean you always hear the horror stories of like the accidentally hitting it on the sink and the bottom blowing out and stuff like that i always used uh empty milk crates so i would store them in empty milk crates and that way it was easier to to move them around instead of literally just picking up the glass so smart help protect it a little bit <laughs> we never got that far no no we were always picking them up like <laughs> and idiots. it's heavy oh yeah I mean, it's so. oh it's it's the one of those it's one of those heavies where you've got to use your legs to steer it yeah. while you're walking with it you know yeah. no i preferred the buckets so i mean with the the food grade buckets you can put a spigot on the bottom it was easier to transfer you're not pumping oxygen into it in the rack with the racking cane to get it out of the carboy and everything so it's just a little safer crazy so uh kind of fast forwarding a little bit um you you guys decide to take it as a business um what kind of what kind of inspirations from a brewery kind of fit into what you guys were thinking about um and when did you make the leap so uh Bob, I mean, if you want to talk about the name of our brewery, it comes from Bob. He uh, he's a big fan of like the Belgian style, so beers like uh, you know sours and and stuff like that. Um, Cantillon is his favorite brewery. So his mom always grew Devil's Trumpet flowers in her garden when he was growing up. And when he got into brewing, uh, he just thought it would make a great name for like a Belgian style brewery. But uh, when we got together, you know, trying to name. Uh, a, a brewery is like naming a band getting so hard people to agree it is so hard <laughs> yeah you know I mean, I mean how, how hard was it to come up with local 219 i mean kind of seems like an easy home run now right yeah <laughs> but, yeah at um, the time i first wanted to name it region proud oh really that's what it was but then the times beat me to the facebook page and then then from that point every name that we came up with was horrible after that i mean it's actually shocking i'm surprised local 219 was out there you would figure Especially in, in the region, everything's yeah. 219, 
It seems something. like it all happened for a reason. It's fate. Yeah. yeah, but it was it was tough. It was uh, we wanted to kind of because of our background um, with like the mills and the refineries. I really wanted to kind of bring down that union kind of feel to it. And so that's where like the idea behind the local and then the aspect of the 219 yeah. and because it represents the area. And actually, I've had an, like an, uh, an affliction for that area code aspects of the phone number ever since Reggie Bush was in USC. So I think probably, I don't know, was that 08, 09, something like maybe even I'm earlier? Sure no idea. Yeah, but it was he used to put his area code on his uh, iBlack oh, all really? the time. So I was like, that's really cool. And so that's kind of always stuck with me, and I knew I wanted to do it, but you never know how this stuff works until people actually see it. And this is such, it's a really awesome area. I mean, it's so blue collar. Everybody is, it's a really hard working area. Oh, um, yeah. So. Especially north of 8094. Or north yes. of 30, really, is very blue collar. Yeah, yeah. Not that the south or the east isn't either. I don't want to go there. But yeah. it's it's there. It seems like it's really kind of ingrained into the culture. Yep. You know. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, but the Devil's Trumpet thing is really awesome. Who designed your logo? Because that logo is sick. Uh, so it was Bob's sister does all of our label layout and everything. He will come up with, <clears throat> he comes up with almost all the ideas. So he deserves a ton of credit. Uh, and then he works with his sister um, on, she'll like lay out his ideas and get them on the labels and everything. So I think it was a, a combination of both of them. Um, but I, I think I should probably give Kristen more credit than Bob. I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> well, it's really cool. And like now that you've had the story, the flower at the bottom of the trumpet makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Then. Yeah. And so what, when you guys start the brewery, what's the goals? And I, did you model it after any other brewery? Or is it just kind of the culmination of what you guys wanted to do? So, um, I mean, we wanted to be a production brewery from the get-go. Uh, our business plan was to be a distribution brewery. Um, being with the laws in Indiana, we were able to have a tap room. So, but ultimately, we were our goal and our business model was to was distribution. Um, so we opened our tap room in June of 2014. Uh, kind of like we had an idea on what beers we thought were going to be our core because we wanted to have like a core group of four beers and then build around that. But you could always have those available. And um, with the tap room, it, we had the people coming in kind of helped us choose which of those beers were going to be. Uh, and it's kind of funny. I look back at now at, at some of the pictures and, and stuff, and Night Goat is our coffee stout is our second most popular beer. And it wasn't even one of our original beers. It wasn't even, like, on tap when we opened. It Crazy. Was, uh, it was still in development in the brew house. So so what, what did you hit the ground with when it comes to the taps? Like, what beers were there from the beginning? Um, so still around, our farmhouse gypsy was our Belgian-style blonde. We still brew that. That We looked at that as kind of like our entry beer for customers. Um, our Make It a Cheeseburger IPA is our third bestseller. It's our most balanced IPA. That one's still around. Our My Ghetto, which is our most popular beer, uh, that was on tap. Um, and that's... Those are the only three out of no the original kidding. seven we had on tap the day we opened. So, how do you guys get inspired by making new beers? I know the New England one we're talking about, but that's that's the newest craze, right? Yeah. But there was that citrus craze at one point. That yep. was the one that got me in. Wasn't? Yeah, yeah, the deal with the Devil 18th Street Brewery. The beer was just crazy. It's a good beer. It was. I love that beer. Every time it comes on sale now, I like try to run and grab the as much as I can that, that they'll allow. Yeah. You know? um, but I, that was like my first real craze into it. And what I love about this craze in particular is I think it speaks to m people who exactly aren't beer drinkers. 
Are you talking the New England stuff? The New England and the milkshakes. Really? Yeah, I do. Because I, I, a lot of people I know like love the lactose part of it, and I think it's an it's an easier it's a drinkable beer, really? or more drinkable beer. That's me. I'm totally speculating. I mean, I guess I I could see that. I I think with a lot of the social media platforms and in the beer um, community groups um, that people have started, I think that has helped it a lot too. Oh yeah. So um, I mean, it's just kind of funny. I mean, if you would have told me eight years ago that we would be brewing a beer intentionally hazy, I tell you, you're nuts. Because, I mean, you, you always strive to make the cleanest, clearest beer possible. I yep. mean, that was, uh, that was, like, what defined how good of a brewer you are. Uh, and now it's, it's interesting that that's a style. So Crazy. Well, you mentioned distribution earlier. And um, I wanted to kind of touch that because I feel like from a local, I mean, outside of Floyd's, right, from a local perspective, you guys have led the charge in that. You see your stuff everywhere, um, especially from like the liquor stores to the bars to even like we were talking about earlier, Zao Island. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. I even saw like the stuff. Uh, I was at the Railcats, uh, the Steel Yard last yeah. week, shooting a video. Yeah. And I couldn't believe the, like the whole bar you guys have behind home plate. And so, getting your beer out there, how important is that to you guys? And is there any kind of tips you can share when it comes to the hustle and grind? Because it's definitely got to be that. And you get your blood, sweat, and tears for that. It definitely is. I, I mean, it was, like I said, that's what we, who we are and who we wanted to be as a brewery um, was distribution. So uh, making our beer available to people who love to drink it as convenient as possible, whether it be going to your local liquor store down the road, your gro- local grocery store, um, going out to dinner, and finding us on tap or in bottles everywhere. Uh, that's what we wanted to do. Um, so, I mean, it was a lot, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, people were more receptive when we started distributing because of the fact of like Three Floyds and other breweries that, that had started the craft craze, I guess you would say. But it started getting tougher, I mean, um, back then, so uh, yeah, I mean, there the, the cost of the kegs weren't as cheap as your normal beer. Uh, I mean, trying to convince someone to put on a beer called My Ghetto, I mean, it's like, well, why would I want to put that on tap? And that's so. really, bef- I and mean, we talked to before like that different waves. So it's got the, like that first wave of like Floyd's kind of setting the precedent, and then you've got like Crown and Shoreline and Figure Eight coming in, um, but then that third wave kind of almost put this place on the map from a, yeah. from a diverse side of things, right? Yeah. Now there's multiple. But you're still creating a market at that point, right? So it's yeah. not like you have a, a precedent that, like, you can just go into every bar and they're going to take craft beer because while the audience of craft beer is growing, the drinkers are growing, it's got to be hard to get it into a lot of those places initially. It's And it's actually even more – it's tougher now. Uh, we like to call it Rotation Nation because of the – proliferation of all the breweries everybody's fighting for tap space mm. i mean because yeah you want your beer in a bar or restaurant and if you get it in in bottles or in cans that's great but most people now look at the tap handles and that's what they choose um so with like i said it, it's getting it was tough when we first started and i think it's getting even tougher now 
So everybody's wow. just fighting for that that uh, that trophy handle, I guess. Oh yeah. Well, that's that's an interesting point because you start to realize that like places like Twincade or um, some other bars that kind of rotate beers like Doc Smokehouse, yeah. right? Um, is that something that like your relationships with those managers mean everything, or is it just coming down to the quality of beer? It's both. Um, obviously, the quality of the beer is the most important thing. And then it is a very relationship-oriented business. Um, I mean, you talk to these people, everybody's different. So you just got to be very social and um, just be be nice. Sure. You know, don't be a, 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 a dick. dick. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any FCC regulations yeah. yet, so we can say whatever we want. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, one thing that I, as a startup, I have, a re- I have like a true respect for people who have kind of started a business, growing it, maintaining it. Um, but with that, we talked earlier about the ebb and flows of it. What's some adversity that Devil's Trump had faced right away that you guys overcame? Because I think that's one of the most, the hardest parts is the, how much adversity you face. And is there any kind of moment in particular that you can recall that was a real tough one? Uh, I mean, it's funny because we look, I look back at it and, and you think you consider it the good old days. But I mean, when we first opened, we, were work, we would work our regular day jobs and we would get up at six in the morning on Saturday, double brew. Our friends got their servers permits and would help serve beer in the tap room. And, um, you know, it was starting at 6 a.m. and then at midnight and then getting up on Sunday, brewing on Sunday and then going to work on Monday and just continuing that cycle. So, I mean, I guess it would be the long hours and realizing that how passionate you really have to be if you really want to get into it. Because uh, I've been asked a lot of times, like advice, you know, what's I want to start a brewery. What's the, the best piece of advice? And the, the first thing that I can think of is, is you've got to be passionate about it. I mean, if you're super passionate about it, you'll make it. But um, if you're not, then I don't know what to say. So it's funny you say that because we were we were talking about this a couple of days ago is that you get into it and we work probably endless amount of hours. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially as a business owner. But it doesn't feel like work if you if you care. Yeah. If you're really passionate and you feel like you're serving a mission that you really want to be behind. Yep. And so how does that make that, how do you make that leap from the passion project of Devil's Trumpet as a business into transitioning it into a business? Is, is, that, a, is that a major transition or is that something that happens it, kind of easily? You know, I mean, we like to say we, we opened a brewery and then we became a business, but ultimately it is a business. So we're really fortunate with Steve because um, he uh, has a great business background. So he's been teaching myself and Bob a lot of how to run a business and in turn, not just teaching him beer, but we're all learning more and more every day about beer. But uh, yeah, ultimately it is a business. I mean, especially once you hire your first employee, because then at the end of the day, it's very crucial because that person is relying on the paycheck that they get from you every week. So, uh, I mean, it's, I wouldn't change it for anything though. So oh, yeah. but it's a, it's a lot of work and everything, but like I said, it's, it is a business. So you have to, um, the fun and games are, you know, it's all it's still fun and everything, but you ultimately, like I said, you, it's business first. So heck yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to bring up too that you guys do an incredible job of, and it was my first exposure to it this year from a distance. We were there videoing it, and if you were watching on Facebook, you saw the video for Heaven's Court, 
And so can you talk a little bit about, I guess, the birth of that, the motivation behind it, and the success of it? Because it's been, it feels like it's one of those um, beers. I had it at Pints in the Park when yeah. we were there. And it's just an incredible beer. And it's just, where does that come from? And where's the inspiration behind doing it? I mean, we we like to always have something for everybody. So with Heaven's Court, it is kind of like your coup de gras or your grand crew. Um, we wanted a, a gnarly Russian Imperial Stout. Uh, I'm pretty sure every brewery makes one. Um, Bob wrote the recipe. It was funny. I remember it was when in our homebrewing days, and I was reading a book on uh, about I, this IPA style um, by Mitch Steele, and um, he was talking about traditionally IPAs. Like one of the brewing techniques was just you would do a super high gravity mash to get. And that was it. You wouldn't sparge or anything. You just did a, a pulled the first runnings, and it was funny. Ironically, at the same time, Bob was developing the Heaven's Court recipe, which he just wanted to pull the first runnings because that's where you get the most sugars out of. You get the highest gravity, and then just remash in another time and just pull those first runnings, and you just get this super high octane, chewy, full mouthfeel flavored beer. So that's. Uh, that's where Heaven's Court comes from. So Crazy. it's it's um it's a really unique beer. Uh, we bourbon barrel age all of it. We use all four roses bourbon barrels. Um, wasn't intentional. It's just uh, the first time we brewed it commercially. We I had a buddy, him and his wife, go down to Tennessee like on weekend vacations, and I was like, hey, he's like, hey, I'm going to Bourbon County. You want me to um, pick you up any barrels? I'm like, yeah. I was like, get us as many as you can fit in your truck. So it just happened to be Four Roses was the only one that was open and had barrels available to sell. So he got us two of them, and and we've been using their barrels ever since. So Incredible. Yeah. What does the first Heaven's Court Day look like? Um, so it actually it was supposed to be our anniversary beer. Uh, but the first our first anniversary, because our anniversary is in June, it wasn't ready. So we actually didn't release it until December of 2015 the first year so <laughs> okay um but uh so the first official i guess would be our second anniversary that's when we transitioned it we had a one-year anniversary party and then ultimately we wanted to become heaven's court day um because you know i mean yeah you can have an anniversary party every year but having you know having kind of like our mini dark lord day uh that's what we wanted to do so it was it was cool um it w- was free the first year uh all ages it was a super awesome turnout. Um, the following two years, we charged uh, $10 for a ticket, and it came with a beer. And then this year, we decided, let's just go back and enjoy everything and thank people um, for supporting us and helping us continue to grow as a, a business and as a brewery. Um, and we made it free in all ages again, and everybody had a really good time. So, And the weather's always been nice. That helps. So one thing, too, I mean, releasing a... Uh, a 16.5% bourbon barrel-aged stout at the end of June, right when summer's really kicking in. Uh, could be hit or miss, <laughs> yeah. but uh, we've been pretty fortunate with weather. So oh, you, got, you got the band, right? Yeah. Now it's kind of yeah. progressed into the band. It's paid now, right? Yep. You've got to pay for a ticket. Um, the beers that seemed like on tap were awesome. Right, and then you open up your tap room for it as well, on top of yeah, our building the whole separate. thing. Yep. And so this is all stuff that's kind of been built on year after year. I'm guessing, yeah. right? Yeah, Doesn't exactly. start off is that size. Yeah. Um, and the beer alone, how much is you guys giving out at that point? Because you guys got to be 
selling the hell out of it that day. Oh, out of Heaven's Court? Yeah. Um, this year, I want to say I think we did 30 barrels of it. So, and this year was the first year that we didn't do 22-ounce bottles. We did all 12-ounce. Um, Those 22s have probably caught up to a lot of people. Uh, I mean, you know, the way we look at it is, I mean, if you if you do it in 12-ounce, you could buy a four-pack because it was 30 bucks for a four-pack. You could enjoy one by yourself, sure. and then you still had three more. Whereas with a 22-ounce bottle, because it's typically what, you know, you want to package something like that in, if, let's say, you wanted to have some by yourself and you nine times out of ten you're going to get through that first snifter and you're done done but you still have half a bottle left and if you don't drink it it's not going to stay good just going to lose its carbonation if you leave it in the fridge so um that's why we just shifted to the 12 ounce i guess solid move and you were telling me when i first met you we had you were telling me a story about why you don't collect beer anymore uh, well, so my, you can ask any of my friends. Um, we, it was uh, like all our buddies that helped us when we opened, started the brewery. We call it the Beer Geek Podcast. We have a texting group, and it was all our friends that we would go to like beer festivals with and, and beer releases and everything. Um, so I was, I was always one of the guy that anything I bought, we drank. I didn't save anything. I don't have a beer cellar. Um, so for me, the way I look at it is if a brewery releases a beer, well, then it's ready. Because if they're going to, they want you to age it, then they would age it for you. Like we age Heaven's Court, it's, it's aged for six months to a year. It's a blend of six month to one year old barrels. So wow. we age it for you. So we're releasing it when it's ready to drink. So that's my philosophy. You buy it, you drink it. You don't <laughs> tend to sit on it. I mean, but, uh, you know, and a lot of my friends were different. They have, like, these crazy cellars. I mean, just hundreds and hundreds of beers. And it's like, dude, when are we going to drink all that? Or when are you going to find time? I mean, at what point do you have so much beer and you realize, I'm never going to drink all this? Yeah. Or if, if it, it turns on you. I mean, it's like buying, having a wine cellar. I mean, at what point does that bottle of wine turn into vinegar at some point or something? For sure. Maybe it lasts forever. I don't know. but It's crazy. Because I've even never been a saver. Um, but only b- probably because like I like you I, I like it the fresher the better yeah for me you know but I've never and I've never really done it because I didn't I don't think I've ever had the right temperature to like really hold stuff like that and I've never been a big collector of the stuff but I could see the value in it for sure yeah you well know? I mean and that's that's something that's gotten um, pretty crazy is, is the secondary beer market mm-hmm. I mean I mean there's a lot of uh, a lot I know a lot of people trade beers which is actually kind of cool. Because, I mean, for, like, let's say for us, if somebody trades their buddy that lives in California a bottle of Heaven's Court, well, then that means he's spreading the word about Devil's Trumpet all the way out to California. And if his buddy likes the beer, well, then he's going to tell somebody. Um, So that's the one positive thing, I guess, about the beer trading and stuff. But, I mean, having, like, a big seller, I don't know. I mean, I I I have some beers at home, but it's pretty much, like, you know... Russian Imperial Stouts. Like I have a bottle of Dark Lord from every year I've gone and awesome. stuff, but uh, I re- really don't save it. I drink it. <laughs> <laughs> you were talking about music earlier, yeah. And uh, just out of curiosity, how much does your love of music and your passion play into Devil's Trumpet and what you guys do every day? Uh, it plays a pretty pretty big role, I guess. I mean, everybody loves music. Music is sanctuary. I mean, it's what 
keeps the world sane, right? Sure. Uh, everybody listens to music. Um, and your inspirations are predominantly, you mentioned Melvin, so I'm guessing like that late 70s, 80s punk. Uh, no, I'm, no? I'm, I'm, I'm a metalhead. Okay. So I'm a child of the 80s, um, so I'm a true, true metalhead. Uh, we like, you know, Bob and I like heavy music, you know. Um, so some of the beer names and a lot of the recipes we would look at it as almost like writing a song so or if you're listening to a song and it would inspire a beer like you hear that first riff of the song and it's the aroma and then it with the kicks in to the main um vocal part or whatever the main riff and that's when you take the first sip and then as it really kicks up like the chorus that's it coming across your palate and you're getting all the flavors and everything and it, it's giving you the full experience so it's kind of like that i guess you would say <laughs> <laughs> i think that's good yeah. <laughs> and so then what's the label is that like the band name is that like the band name and then like the video like the production behind the, the live show yeah, exactly. The cover I mean, art. That's why, and that's why, um, like doing the bottles too. So doing the bottles, it's kind of like if, if like canned beer, it's the can. The can is the packaging. That's it. So it's almost like downloading a song. But if you buy a six pack, not only are you getting the al- you know, you're getting the whole album. So you got the album artwork, you know, the six pack carrier, and then you got the individual tracks inside. So. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm a huge music guy. Is there any way that we can kind of funnel that in? I mean, yeah. and so are you still into the active in music? Are you still trying to find new music or have you kind of, uh, always, yeah, always. Um, I do a, a lot of driving, a lot of, I have a lot of windshield time. So I'm always, uh, listening to Spotify and trying to find new, like bands in the style that I like. Uh, as far as playing, uh, I don't play much anymore. Actually, I don't play at all, which is I, I should rectify that. But what uh, instrument did you play? Uh, I played bass. Nice. So, it's actually kind of funny because uh, all of us, we didn't realize it until after we started the brewery uh, that we're all musicians. So Steve plays guitar, Bob plays drums, and I play bass. Or I say we sh- we formally played, and we don't really have the time to do it anymore. And we always joked about starting like a the DT house band to play it like Heaven's Court. Heaven's that'd be awesome. That needs to happen. Plus, Steve's not the biggest fan of uh, the music Bob and I like to listen to, but uh, I'm sure you can he come tolerates to some, us. You can come yeah. to some yeah. common ground with it. Yeah, it was like Bob and I always joked that we wanted to start a, uh, a Melvin's Police like tribute band. There you go. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's nothing metal about Police. No, it's great music. Great right? music, yeah. yeah. So. yeah. Uh, where do you... Uh, this is like one of the questions... There's two questions I have left for you. One is, where do you see Devil's Trumpet kind of moving forward? Because distribution, you guys have kind of planted your flag in it. Your beers are, st- are, are rena- like getting known more and more. You've got places like Heaven's Court kind of building. Um, what do you want to kind of see Devil's Trumpet move into? So are, we still have a lot of room to grow. Um, just in our own area. Uh, so we just want to keep embedding our brand and our beer in more and more places. Because um, there's still, I mean, we've been open for four years, and we still get people that come in once in a while that live maybe two miles from our brewery and never knew we existed. I mean, you can talk to anybody, and a lot of people don't know that we're here. Crazy. So it's it's just continuing to, to grow our brand recognition, not only just in our home turf of Northwest Indiana, but throughout the whole rest of the state of Indiana. Uh, and then eventually um, maybe go to Illinois or other states. So, Any any room for food in the future? 
That's the, the question everybody asks. <laughs> uh, I mean, we've talked about it. We used to have food trucks when we first opened. Which um, are brilliant. Food trucks are amazing. Yeah, but there's yeah. really not many. Uh, no. A lot of them are, are based kind of more towards the, the, the beaches and stuff. But um, I don't know. We, 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 talk, we go back and forth about it. Um, maybe eventually. Uh, maybe not necessarily at the location where our production brewery is. Maybe a different location, but um, I mean, it's it's obviously a possibility in the future. So that could be another thing down the road. So awesome. And then the last one is we're a big fan of the Franken beer here, and that's uh, mixing a few of the beers from each brewery. Do you have any mixture that you'd want, like from Devil's Trumpet, that you can go to the tap room and mix? That would be a good mixture. Uh, no, I nothing. No, uh, there was. Uh, what do we do? I think we had chocolate taco on tap and added a little bit of night goat or vice versa and it kind of brought like that cinnamon mexican chocolate feel to night goat um one thing that we did find with our night goat coffee stout is i used to promote that uh, if you take like four ounces of it and pour a shot of bailey's irish cream liqueur you got to slam it but it tastes like one of those coffee frappuccino drinks that you get from like a local barista like sip um, no kidding yeah but uh it curdles so you got to drink it real fast and we found through <laughs> accounts that they're taking the flavored vodkas and putting some of the flavored vodka in night goat so they're taking like the the vanilla or the whipped cream or the no birthday cake or kidding. coconut or the caramel and it doesn't curdle and you can sip on it but it adds that flavoring so that's that's kind of interesting to see that that that's going on that's interesting because so. you don't see a lot of experimentation you know I mean, like well, it's 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 a thing i mean there's a lot of places that are starting to open up where they're doing beer cocktails are becoming a thing um especially with the all the local independent distilleries that are opening up too so um it's just it, there's there's a lot of creativity out there so we had a production meeting one day and we were just talking about things that would be fun to frankenbeer yeah and giving it like an ode to lemon rice soup I called Rod from Off Square, and I'm like, dude, we got a brilliant idea. Let's mix up the rice rocket with the lemon ghost and see how it goes. And he's, he called me back. He's like, that's the worst beer I've ever had, yeah. and we're never doing that again. There is, uh, <laughs> so when we open the tap room, we always pull uh, a little bit out of the taps to clean, you know, get the beer that was sitting in the line overnight, even though we have really short lines. And I did have one customer one time be like, are you throwing that out? I'm like, well, yeah. I was like, I just pulled like four ounces of 11 all 11 of our beers he's like i'll drink it i was like dude you're not drinking that he's like i'll, I'll try it i'm like all right i gotta see this yeah. so at first he's like oh this, this is pretty good this is pretty good and he got halfway through he's like this is terrible man i, mean, I can't do it i'm like well yeah you just mixed 11 different beers and there was no rhyme or reason or ratio so i'm sure it didn't taste good so you know uh that's funny i wonder how much like shenanigans like that happens daily it's got to be crazy. You know, the one thing I did notice daily for you guys is how many people bring you beers to try. Um, that happens. Qu it's got to happen quite a bit. You know, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, people, like other breweries will come in or customers will come in um, traveling and, and bring us beers because we're all beer lovers. So we don't get the opportunity to get out and try all the different breweries that are opening and everything or, or that have opened. Um, so it's kind it's kind of cool. And it's, it's big in the community, um, helping each other out. If, if you need to help 
another brewery or they help you you always trade beers or at festivals we're always trading beers or you come out with a new beer it's like hey man you know try try this let me know what you think and uh so it's kind of it's kind of cool awesome well is there any place that everybody can find you i know you mentioned on facebook live but yeah so uh we're on all the social media platforms um you can find us on facebook instagram twitter we have a website www.thedevilstrumpet.com um you can come visit our tap room we're open Friday 3 to 10, Saturday 12 to 10, and Sunday 12 to 6 uh, every week. We're at 8250 Utah Street in Maryville. We're just like a mile and a half east of I-65, just past the mall, yeah. down 30. Uh, or, you, you know, visit your local liquor store, grocery store, bar, restaurant. And if they don't carry our beer, ask for it. So Nice. Well, again, thank you for coming in. It was Appreciate a pleasure. It having the conversation. Um, Hopefully you guys all enjoyed it and uh, cheers. We'll talk to you soon.